today, very special edition because we're talking about empathy and we're also talking about a special book that was published called We've Got This and to help me explore this idea that is so crucial to education. I have with me the writer of the book, Rashmi Sardeshpandi, and we have Miranda McKerney, who is the founder of Empathy Lab. Now, Empathy Lab hasn't been going that long, not really in terms of organisations, and yet already it has done an incredible amount of work. And I do think every school that I go into knows of the work of Empathy Lab. I welcome both of you, first of all. (laughs) And I am going to start with you, Miranda. You have been working at the reading agency, and then you moved on, set up this new organisation, this new project. What was in your mind at that point? Why did you know that this was needed? Well, I thought I was retiring (laughs) and I was going to go trekking, but I had been fascinated by the research, that this emerging body of research, scientific research, that reading builds empathy. And I never really had time to delve into it because I was sort of too busy doing the risk strategy or whatever. And when I stopped, three other people who are now directors with me decided to explore the research and the implications of it. And we held a great big thinking at the Royal Festival Hall and we invited a a wonderful cross-disciplinary audience and said, do we think society and the education system is making enough of this very powerful, very interesting link between reading and empathy? And basically, everybody said, no, go forth and do things. This was 2014. The need then was very much around the the sort of emergence of social media and the cruelty that social media was enabling, as well as all the wonderful things. And teachers were very worried about that and also very worried about high stress education system that was stressing the the success of the individual. And they felt that often everything was about me and not about we. And they were fascinated by the idea that they could use the tools they're already so heavily and wonderfully using, books, literature, stories, authors, to get a sort of double win and build this key skill of empathy. And since then, if you reflect now, on post-pandemic on the need. So all these terrifying reports about the pandemic's effect on social and emotional skills, on mental health, on behaviour. I'm sure you, like us, are hearing lots of anecdotal reports of, of real difficulties with children finding it hard to settle and name and share their emotions, lots of difficult things. And then, of course, the world with the war and climate change and children facing that and a increasingly polarised, divided public discourse. So that I think each year we reflect on the need and the research underpinning the need. And each year I seem to say it's more urgent than ever. If reading is such a fantastic mechanism or tool for developing empathy, is the answer just to read more? 
You are always ask the best questions, Nikki. <laughs> Obviously, the answer is to read, but um, a lot of the work that we do, we've, we've developed a schools program very much from the bottom up and now offer a year's kind of support to SLTs and whole schools in integrating a much sharper empathy focus. So it's very much about a shift of focus. So taking what you're already doing in a school, but thinking about a more deliberate focus on empathy and using the books differently, subtly differently, often. And we have a a set of criteria by which we select our annual Read for Empathy collection and we share those and the difference it makes of by focusing, really focusing on the character and feelings more than the plot or the kind of mechanisms of the book. And keeping within the safety of the story and the book, letting the book do the heavy lifting. So yes, more reading, but thinking about using reading and book talk as a way to build community differently. And then very much focusing on action. No point learning about empathy, using books to build it if you're not going to change something. So a lot of our work is about putting empathy into action and and what that looks like. And a lot of Empathy Day culminates in that involved through our empathy resolution strand. We know if we look back in history, there have been great readers amongst leaders who haven't necessarily been empathic in the way they've treated other people. I think what you're saying there about the book talk. So a lot of the reading pleasure techniques and the research base for that, for instance, a shared read aloud book, which I know you're big on, Nikki. If you look at that through an empathy lens, it's really interesting because, of course, you get such insights into other people from their different experience of the book. And by sharing those experiences very honestly, build community. Rashmi, of this of this wonderful book, and you've done an incredible job because it this it, it's quite complex, and you've included all of that complexity, and you've kept it incredibly relatable as well. I think first of all, it would be really good to know exactly what empathy is and what empathy isn't, because you cover that in the book really well. So empathy is being able to experience and understand other people's emotions and their points of view. And we were just talking about that whole perspective taking, that's understanding their points of view, even if they're very different to our own. And the experiencing part, Miranda, we talk about so much is so interesting because especially when you're reading, sometimes when you're reading a thriller and you've got a character who's really going through it and you're turning the pages and your heart's pounding alongside them, you're not in that book. You're cosy in your room reading this story. It's completely removed from you. You can feel some of what they're feeling. It's the most fascinating thing that happens to us and it happens when we're talking to a really good friend and they might be feeling sad about something. And even very little children can relate to this when they say, my friend's really upset about something. And I actually felt something inside me too. And that is that beautiful experiential part of empathy. But there are different parts of empathy, and we use them all at different times. So sometimes we're doing more of this feeling. Sometimes we're doing more of thinking. And sometimes we're really acting on it, which you were discussing with Miranda as well. But in terms of what empathy isn't, you wanted to be really clear in this book about that. Empathy often gets confused with sympathy, doesn't it? 
But sympathy is just com- so completely different. Sympathy separates us from people. So you have to be standing over here to feel sorry for someone, almost looking down on them, the poor you. Whereas empathy is really being right there beside them, with them every step, feeling what they feel. And you're looking at the world through their eyes, feeling what they feel. It's a very different thing to feeling sorry for someone. That's There's a separation there. And empathy is not about separation. Empathy is that glue that brings us closer together. And it isn't kindness. It isn't the same as kindness. We talk about it being the seed of kindness. It's very often where kindness begins because you understand someone. You, you understand what it is that they're going through. And then you might understand what it is that they need. And from that, an act of kindness might blossom. But it's not just for the sake of doing a nice thing and being a good person. It's actually coming from that core of empathy where you're doing something that you know will help this person because you understand them and you've connected at a different level. Sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's just being there. I don't know about you, but I find sometimes I'm rushing in to say something because the silence is a bit awkward. But you want to fix things for the people you care about. But That's not always it with empathy. Sometimes what we really need from people is for them to just be there. Mm -hmm. And that being a good friend in the way that people with pets will know this, unless they're feeling sick and their dog's just there. They're not fixing a thing, but their presence is so so solid and reassuring. And, And children can be that friend to their friends too. This is something for both of you, really. It strikes me that we're talking about empathy, but... It's easy to feel empathy with some people and others it might be harder. They might have values that are very different from ours. They might not appear to be very nice people, but surely if we're developing empathy, it's about trying to understand the most difficult to reach, the hardest, as well as those that on the surface look as though they are worthy of our empathy. Uh, Is that something you address as well? It is, yes. And we work very closely with psychologists at the beginning of Empathy Lab to be sure we've got it right, because most of us have a book background, not a psychology background. And they're very interesting on the difference you know, that it's we find it easy to relate to and be empathetic to our in-group, much more difficult to our out-group. And so a lot of our work around reading and the, the choices of books about maybe people who children may not have experienced, travellers, refugees, you know, people with very different life stories, is about trying to expand the in-group so mm. that you feel much more connected to a much wider range of people. Rashman is talking about the thinking part of empathy. Psychologists will talk about the cognitive aspect of empathy being made up of imagination and reason as well. Mm. So bringing all that to bear in really trying to understand people who aren't like you and mm. reading is just so powerful for that. Rashmi, tell us, you're given this task to write this book. You are trying to write this for a younger readership. So how did you make that relatable for them? What what was the process that you went through to think, well, how am I going to tackle this task? 
So this book was a collaboration where Empathy Lab had provided me with their research around empathy, the work that they'd been doing, some insights that they'd gathered from schools. And I just looked at it as this huge pile of treasure to sift through. (laughs) And with my children's authorly eyes, I looked at it. And when I saw something that was really juicy and exciting, and I could imagine a child talking about that with someone, I grabbed it. And I said, this is going in the books. And I pulled those things together, the things that felt important and necessary, and the things that felt exciting and fresh. And in terms of turning the science into something accessible, Miranda very kindly allowed me to use my favorite tone for writing books, which is the conversational tone, Mm -hmm. because that's the way this book is written. It's a conversation with the reader. It's not patronizing. It's not overly distant and cold. It's warm and conversational. So I'm having a chat with the reader about this very cool thing that everyone should know about. And did you know this? And did you know that is the whole tone of this. So pulling the science into this was actually really easy because it's fascinating. The difficult bit was using the language that a reader would understand. And it it took a few attempts at playing with things. We had a great copy editor as well, who was also a sensitivity reader. And she would challenge absolutely everything, wouldn't she, Miranda? She was on it. And she would just say, look, Is this language as inclusive as it could be? Is this as clear as it could be? And you've got a little family as well. I mean, they are a family of (laughs) older people and younger people. Yes. Um, Again, just to make it relatable so that we've got an older child, a younger child to see what they're going through and also for children to see what a grown-up might be going through, how there's one scene that that sticks in my head about the family about to go out and it's chucking it down with rain. And just there you can see how taking different perspectives can work because The mum's just had her hair done and she's thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want to be stepping out in this. The little one's just, yes, using the family. Let us show some real life experiences that children could relate to, kind of empathy and practice. You do include the science. Did you have to limit what you wrote about? Miranda, you must have such a wealth now of scientific background, research papers, advisors, Honestly, it's changing so fast as well. It's almost like a full-time job, keeping up with the most extraordinary amount of research on empathy from all sorts of of different disciplines. Mm. But basically, we try to really boil it down to the two research pillars that all of Empathy Labs is built on. One is that empathy is learnable Mm. and that it grows the more you use it. And I think that's really important and really challenging and exciting because I think a lot of people think you're just born empathetic or you're not. And that is so not true. Only 10% of our empathic ability is genetic. So it's learnable, it's malleable. And then the other is this body of research about this extraordinary tool of books that we have as, as a society at our fingertips the science and research of what happens in your brain when you read. So that those were the sort of fundamentals and then an explanation of the different elements of empathy, which Rashmi has been explaining, which again is changing all the time. of new research about hormones and the role that they play, as well as the mirror neurons in our heads. Extraordinary what us lot can do. I loved what this book also does is it's got a nice pace and a flow through. So if we've had a particularly intense piece, then it's broken up with a nice full page, colourful, bright yellow background quotation from a famous author, gives us pause to 
think and reflect. Tell us about some of those quotations. They're amazing, aren't they? So many well-loved children's authors, illustrators. We've got poets in there. It's just this really rich collection of quotes on empathy and what it means and empathy in reading and empathy in the difference that it can make in our lives and the difference it can make in the world. It's just, I mean, I, can't, I still can't believe the people we have contributing to this, but it just shows what a movement this is among children's authors and illustrators. Do we have a couple there that are easy to hand that we could just read? Cressida Cowell, I think, is the first in the book. She's the first in the book. She says this, she says, reading gives you three magical powers, creativity, intelligence and empathy. Empathy is in many ways the most important because it is the one that links you to your community. Mm. And Nadia Shireen, I, I love hers. Books can be maps that help us navigate some of the most tricky emotional places. And Mallory Blackman, sorry, now you've started us, we're not going to stop. <laughs> At the end of her quote, she says, reading is such a wonderful way to bring people together in a world that increasingly seeks to build walls and barriers between us. And we talk about this all the time, that, that breaking down barriers, mm. connecting us in what feels like an increasingly divided world. I and mean, what could be more important than that? Now, I noticed that you haven't left the adults out. So there is a section at the back of the book, a guide for adults. Whose idea was it to include that? We had a, an amazing little working group, Nikki, with the publisher and Sarah Mears and me from Empathy Lab and Rashmi working at like lightning speed and Anne McNeil who was Cresta's editor who's an expert volunteer with Empathy Lab so we've probably slightly lost in the yeah highly burly whose idea was what it's a sort of collective but I am interested why you thought it was necessary adults are going to get a lot from reading the children's part of this book so if they decide they're not going to read it but they skip to the guide for grown-ups. They'll hopefully then be encouraged to read the whole thing anyway. But in very straightforward terms, explains the science again, very crisply to say, look, this stuff works. This is why it matters. This is why the world needs it right now. We can go higher level with this. We can talk hard-hitting politics and because we're talking to grown-ups here and we can say, look, now this is more important than ever. And this is something that will touch on every aspect of children's lives from their relationships to their well-being, to even their performance at school and their performance in the future world of work. And also to talk about how adults might decide to share books with children, again, moving beyond just reading, but then talking about books with an empathy focus, wondering at what the characters were thinking about, what they were going through, the challenges they overcome, how did things change for them? towards the end of the book. So explaining that to grown-ups who may have previously thought of reading of an activity that children do, and maybe we discuss because school said we need to check comprehension, and now we're taking it to another level and saying, well, let's really understand and let's use this to build empathy. I have to say, it is a very serious subject, but I want to say that this book is a lot of fun and it's packed with some really great activities. One of them is create your own empathy glasses, which I wish I'd done for this podcast. I loved also the write a newspaper article. Put the empathy in there, change the news, because news is so negative and so 
damaging. Tell us about some of the other activities. I should say that they've all come from things we've already done and tried. So the news one was an idea of my fellow founder, Sarah Mears, who often writes the family packs and often comes up with the ideas for Empathy Day, which authors then model on the day. So it's a body mirroring exercise that author Jo Cottrell came up with that she did for one Empathy Day. There's Empathy Walks, the idea of going out into your community with your empathy lenses on and thinking about suspending the awful thing us humans always do, which is judge everybody all the time. But instead, think about your community and your needs and who you're seeing and where more empathy would help. Rashmi, why don't you explain the empathy resolutions bit? Oh, that's uh, the jewel in the crown of everything, isn't it? So the empathy resolution is a promise to turn empathy into action in our everyday lives. And we've got some beautiful examples from children in the book as well. This is an activity that we do every empathy day. We say, you've read all of this, you've developed your empathy superpower, and now let's really promise to use it. And it's okay if you change your mind about your resolution, you tweak it, because as the year goes on, you look at it and think, actually, I could make that stronger. And you check in with yourself. We encourage children to check in and say, how am I getting on with this resolution? And it's okay if the truth is you forgot or the truth is you're struggling with it. But it's having that promise at the forefront of your mind to say, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to use empathy in my life. So I'm trying to find one of the children's ones. Here's one that says, my empathy resolution is to be kind to everyone I meet. They may be going through a tough time because you just never know what's really going on with people. And here's another one that says, my empathy resolution is to support my friends when they're going through a hard time by just being there for them. Sometimes all people need is someone around them who they can talk to and trust. I want to try and be that person. Produced a new thing called Empathy Action Month in November, which is now part of Empathy Lab's portfolio, as a sort of midpoint in the year for children and schools and families reflect on any resolutions they might have made. Personal question to both of you, really. I'm sure you've always been deeply empathic people, but has this project changed you in any way? Yes, absolutely. It's about that deliberate practice of empathy, I think, thinking about it. And especially in those tricky situations that you mentioned earlier, when it comes to someone who perhaps you don't agree with, perhaps you strongly disagree with someone who's being quite mean, who seems to be being completely unreasonable, comes from a completely different world. I think it's this has really focused my mind to say, let's deliberately use empathy here. And if the feeling part is a little tricky right now, and I'm not quite feeling what this person's feeling, let me use the thinking element and think it through and say, why do they feel the way they do? Why do they believe this? What is their worldview? And when you do that, I've found that even in situations where I completely disagree with someone, you can find the humanity in another person. And actually soldiers have talked about this at war where they can find the humanity in the other side using empathy. It's not impossible. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to call someone out when they're doing something that's mean. We talk about this very directly in the book. Yeah, that's beautiful, Rashmi. For me, at the moment, the thing that's really resonating is in our training, We do quite a lot around listening because it's such a key aspect of empathy. And we have a listening audit where we break down the different bits of what makes up a great listener. And I reflect all the time on how rubbish I am at the one at the end, which is about 
giving advice. So working on this has really made me think hard about how I listen and try to be much better at listening. In Empathy Lab, we're always creating ideas and whooshing things around, and I tend to cut across people when I'm excited. For me, that's a bit at the moment that's resonating. Miranda, you'll know how passionate I am about non-fiction. Very often when people talk about empathy and reading, they talk about stepping inside the shoes of a character, which, of course, is really important. But I really do believe that a good non-fiction writer, I'm thinking about all of Nicola Davies' books, for instance, how can that not be developing empathy? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, Because what we do is research-based as far as we can, we have emphasised the fiction, the character, feelings, because that's what the current research is focused on. It's not a complete evidence base yet. And we're working with really exciting piece of research with the University of Sussex to deepen that research base. And that is largely about the effect of fiction on children's affective and cognitive empathy. But yes, of course, non-fiction, just because there isn't a scientific evidence base about it doesn't mean that non-fiction isn't empathy building. And I think of Nicola's Book of the Sea, for instance, where the, the way she talks about the creatures of the sea so that you really feel a relationship with them. And Rashmi's book, How to Change the World, that's a kind of campaigning non-fiction book and autobiographies, biographies, which really help you understand what a sports person might have gone through. We put that in the book as well. Actually, there's a whole shout out on how it's not just fiction, it's also nonfiction, it's also art, and it's also poetry. And children are very lucky today to be growing up in an age where some of the most fantastic things are being published in every single one of these spaces. And you mentioned film and theatre too. This book is going to help a lot of children and young people understand what empathy is. But it's also important, isn't it, that their learning environment is one that is empathetic to them as well. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, and a lot of the work we've done with our psychology partners, uh, Professor Robin Banerjee, is about whole school culture and modelling empathy. And the thing I remember being really struck by at the beginning of working with Robin was two things, really. One saying... Children with poor empathy skills just haven't had it modelled, haven't had the chance to develop it. So school is an really important second chance. And if they're surrounded by anchoring empathetic adults, because empathy is learnable and our brains are malleable, they will have a chance to develop those skills. So I feel really passionate about giving them that chance. And the other thing he talks about a lot is It's not either or. You don't have to choose between focusing on a body of knowledge and traditional academic subjects. Schools are social places and a child will not be able to learn unless they have the relationships that help them feel safe enough Mm -hmm. to learn. And empathy is the underpinning of all relationships. It's not a fluffy Mm -hmm. thing. It's an absolutely core life skill. We've been doing a lot of really interesting work on what does an empathetic transition look like. I found that the most interesting bit of of working with teachers who are naturally empathetic, but really thinking about 
what does taking empathy seriously really mean and what does it do to your values and the school development plan and your policies? Can I add to this? Um, I was speaking to a teacher the other day about this book and she's raised something really interesting, which is that empathy makes such a difference to learning in the classroom because you're changing classroom culture, not just break time and those relationships, but in, in class, you're in a history lesson And someone wants to put their hand up, but they're not sure what they have to say is correct. If they're in a classroom where the culture is that we use empathy, then they can put their hand up and with confidence say that thing, knowing that people are going to listen to their point of view, their take, see where they're coming from and not judge. That changes everything, transforms learning. And leadership needs to take account of it too. I think it is worth saying about Wales where the new curriculum has a huge focus on health and being and empathy appears in the curriculum documentation 35 times. Mm. So the Scottish curriculum also has this big emphasis on social and emotional learning. What do we know uh, about international comparisons? All sorts of fascinating things. So Canada and now more broadly, the best known empathy education programme is Roots of Empathy, which uses a baby. So they have a sort of series of, of classes bringing real babies from the community in for young children to learn and reflect on a baby's emotions, how the baby's brains are building. And Mary Gordon started that in Canada, and there's a version of it in England. And then there are various empathy programs that would focus particularly on film. There's all sorts of different models. And in certain American schools, empathy is taught explicitly. As far as we've been able to determine We're the only organisation internationally, I think, really drilling down on the literature. Thank you so much for joining me today. I feel that we could have talked for another hour and still not have covered everything. So Rashmi, Miranda, it's been a pleasure to have you in the reading corner.